years ago, Jersey officially entered its COVID lockdown, which might seem like a distant memory to many. But there are some in the Channel Islands who are still feeling the effects of the viral disease that brought the world to a halt. Long Covid, which began as a hashtag, has now become a medical condition diagnosed to those who are still experiencing Covid symptoms years on from contracting the disease. The prevailing theory behind the disease is viral persistence, that the virus gets into the body and hides, meaning the immune system is unable to find and eradicate it. Dr Matt Doyle, a GP based in Jersey, has become the island's long COVID specialist and he runs a clinic at the General Hospital which is specially designed to treat long COVID patients. Since it opened in February 2022, GPs have referred over 300 islanders to the clinic and it has given more than 550 appointments. Now that research is improving and the mysteries of long COVID are slowly being unveiled, Dr Doyle sat down with Express to discuss the difficulties of treating such a varied disease, the impact it has on lives, and how while COVID may seem a thing of the past, there are some who will be living with it for years into the future. Okay, so why don't you just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do in relation to long COVID? Hi there, I'm Dr Matt Doyle. I'm a general practitioner and I'm currently the clinical lead for long COVID at Jersey's General Hospital. We set the clinic up at the beginning of 2022 and we're still running a regular weekly clinic at the moment. Great. Um, And why don't you tell us a bit about the symptoms of long COVID? So what does it look like? What does it feel like when you have it? Yeah, the symptoms are very varied and often they are linked to the sort of symptoms people have when they have the acute COVID illness. So we all remember people losing their sense of taste and smell. And one of the forms of long COVID that we recognise is when the taste and smell doesn't come back and it can take a very long time for people to recover it. Sometimes it does recover, but the memory of tastes and the memory of smells is altered. So something that they used to find pleasurable, like coffee, is a very good and common example, suddenly has a distinctly burned or acrid taste that it didn't have before. So that's one form of long COVID. But then we have a lot of people who experience fatigue, breathlessness, changes in the way their bowels work, so they can get looser stools and bloating, things like that. Joint pains are quite common, headaches are quite common, and we see some degree of cognitive impairment for people. It's a very wide-ranging condition, and it seems to be pretty much able to affect most areas of the body. Mm. No, that's interesting. I think um, we've heard recently about sort of like newer symptoms coming out of it. Are there any more recent symptoms that have appeared and that have sort of been quite unexpected? I I think as we've gone on, Mm. we've been able to attribute more and more to post-viral symptoms. So whereas previously we had uh, an understanding when people said they were fatigued because post-viral fatigue is something that's been recognised for very many years. But then when we started getting people with bowel symptoms, that was a bit more surprising. And there have been a lot of very good studies looking at why that happens. There have been people who've had joint pains and 
there's been a lot of concern about why people get joint pains because of a viral infection months after they've had it. But again, our understanding of what's going on and what happens in the body with um, with post-acute COVID or long COVID is expanding all the time. So we've now got some clearer answers as to why these things happen. The harder bit, I think, is what we then can do to support people. That's my next question, actually. Um, I wanted to ask how you prescribe, uh, what do you prescribe for this? Because it's such a varied, sounds like difficult to pin down conditions. So what? how do you treat someone for it? Yeah, it, the, there are a lot of um, problems with treatment. We don't have, you know, normally in medicine, we use what we term evidence-based medicine. So we would look at whether certain medications or therapies work in a particular condition. And we'd look at the evidence that's out there in the medical literature to show us that we're doing the right thing. Um, that's, of course, emerging. The evidence is emerging with long COVID. We've only really been looking at it since the middle of 2020. Um, sort of June 2020 was when the term long COVID was first being used. So we're still in these very early stages. There are some very big trials looking at whether particular treatments are effective, but most of them won't publish till well into next year, 2024. So we don't have that data yet. However, depending on the symptoms people have, there are some medicines um, and some therapeutic options that do seem to work for a reasonable majority of people. Um, Antihistamines were first looked at in the early part of the pandemic because antihistamines do have some antiviral qualities. Um, And the study that was done at University College Hospital in London towards the end of 2021 showed about 80% of people, particularly with fatigue and brain fog, find those symptoms are alleviated if they take particular combinations of, of antihistamines. And we've seen that here in Jersey, that people who've been prescribed those drugs have found them very effective. There are some other medicines, depending on the problem that people present with. Um, there's this condition POTS, which is a, a condition where people can get very dizzy when they can get palpitations. Um, it's a dysfunction of part of our nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. And there are drugs like beta blockers, which are commonly used in um, heart disease that can be quite effective in that. And there's another drug called evabridine, which can be quite effective. And then there are some supplements, so over-the-counter supplements, that are beginning to show some small degree of evidence. But again, it's very small. I think the biggest problem is none of these drugs are licensed to treat long COVID. So drugs are produced by you know the manufacturer and they go to the monitoring agency and they say look we have a drug for high blood pressure and the agency will look at all the evidence the drug company can produce to show its safety and how effective it is and then they will give a drug a license to treat high blood pressure but if we use these drugs for long covid we're using them off license um, and that can be challenging because we're using drugs for reasons they weren't originally designed for mm. And is there progress being made on that? Are there specific long COVID drugs that are in development? Or? There's no specific long COVID drug. Uh, there, there's a couple um, of new agents that are being looked at. There are a number of antiviral drugs because one of the theories about long COVID is that the virus gets into the body and then hides away. It doesn't um, get eradicated by the immune system in some people. And that might explain why two people in the same household can get COVID at the same time and one of them's ill for four or five days and makes a complete recovery and has no symptoms. And the other person who got exactly the same infection has some degree of persisting symptoms for perhaps months afterwards. 
And one of the theories is about what we call viral persistence, that the virus is hiding away in the body. And we know viruses can do this. We know that some viruses can have chronic carriage within the body. The immune system just can't find them. Um, and that may be why some of these drugs are more effective than others. The antiviral drugs, some of which we've tried with patients in Jersey, so far haven't been very effective in treating people. We haven't had, of the few patients who we've tried antiviral drugs for, uh, none of them have noticed any particular improvement. But there will be, going forward, an increase in research and hopefully new agents that will come through. And if that's the case, then there's a very good chance those medicines may be able to help people with viral fatigue from other viruses, because, of course, COVID-19 is not the only virus that can cause a long-term disease after it. Mm, of course, yeah. I think um, our next question actually was about sort of how long is long COVID? Are people recovering fully from this, or is it something that is more of a long-term permanent health condition that people have to deal with now? Variation in how long people have the symptoms for is quite marked. So the Office of National Statistics in the UK do a monthly report looking at um, long COVID throughout the United Kingdom in all the jurisdictions. Um, their current data, which is free to access, so anyone can go and have a look at it, shows that there are about 2 million people in the UK who are currently experiencing some degree of symptoms after a COVID infection. And of those, just under 700,000 had their COVID infection more than two years ago. So that tells us that of the, you know, a, a good third to sort of half of the people who are currently experiencing long COVID in the United Kingdom have had their symptoms going on for more than two years, which is a very significant length of time. Having said that, we do see a lot of people naturally recovering. Mm -hmm. Time being the great healer, that as people go through months from their infection, there is a lot of natural recovery that seems to happen. So we have had people who've gone through the clinic who have not responded to necessarily any of the therapies we've tried for them, but who have spontaneously got better without us doing anything, which is very encouraging. Yeah, no, that, that's good. Um, we wanted to ask about a case recently. I can't remember where it was, either UK or Scotland. Um, and it was about someone who's just been able to qualify um, with long COVID as a long-term disability, and yeah. they're claiming benefits on that. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And is that going to be something we see here? Is it, is it a long-term disability? Yeah, I, I think in some cases it most certainly does qualify as a long-term disability. I think one of the challenges with it is that it is such a varied condition. It can affect people in so many different ways. Um, we have certainly seen people who have had to give up their careers as a result of a relatively mild COVID infection. I think that's an important point to make that the infection can be quite mild and then cause ongoing symptoms. It's not the case. It has to be a particularly severe infection to cause longer-term symptoms. But in certain cases, that is absolutely right. This is and should be identified as a a long-term disability. Um, I'm not currently aware locally how far that has gone. I know that um, government has looked at that and discussed that, um, but I'm not aware of where we're up to with that at the moment. Okay. Um, More generally, how many patients does the clinic have? Is it sort of very busy? How many sort of people do you get coming in? 
So we've last year we did I think just about five hundred and fifty appointments last year. Um, we've had about I think over three hundred islanders who've currently been through the clinic, um, and a, a degree of them have been you know have recovered and have been discharged. Some of them we're still seeing from right at the beginning, um, and some of them we see maybe once or twice. Um, in some cases, we pick up the fact that the symptoms they're having are not caused by COVID, but have other causes, and that that's a big part of what we have to do because there isn't a test specifically for long COVID. It becomes something we have to where we have to look at excluding other options before we can firmly make the diagnosis. But in a lot of people, it's very very clear. You know, they're absolutely fine. They test positive for COVID and then, you know, the symptoms progress and develop in a very characteristic way. Um, and in those cases, it, it's a little bit more clear. One of the bigger challenges, I think, is that not everybody who got COVID got tested and no test is 100%. So, you know, there are people who tested negative for COVID who have then had very classical post-viral symptoms. Um, and it's around sort of looking at do we... Do we call that long COVID? Do we? And I think if if there's a reasonably clear history of at a time when COVID was quite active in the island, somebody gets very classical symptoms, even if they test negative, I think we're going to presume it was probably a COVID infection um, and then treat them accordingly. Hmm. Um, that's actually quite a high number, I think. We, we were thinking about the Channel Islands more generally as well. Is this the only clinic in the Channel Islands? Do you get people from other islands like Guernsey, Alderney coming here or do they have their own clinics? Yeah, so we've, we've worked with Guernsey. Um, so I went over there towards the end of last year. We did a couple of online um, educational sessions um, for the general practitioners on the island. I went over to the hospital last October and we did an educational session for the hospital consultants. Um, and we did a small clinic at that time. Uh, Guernsey has, as far as we're aware, a lower number of cases than Jersey, but uh, the way these cases are reported in the islands is very different. So Guernsey have completely different computer reporting than we have in Jersey, so it's very difficult to compare like for like. Um, but we continue to be in touch with, with Guernsey um, and um, you know talking to them about how they're trying to manage things and, and what they're doing. Okay, great. Um, we, th we wanted to ask also more generally about the kind of ages and genders that you're getting. Is it quite a broad spread or are there specific age groups you're getting? Very much specific age groups. Um, bear in mind that we are dealing with adult patients, so we look at people from the age of 18 and upwards. If there are... Um, Children and young people who have long COVID, they have been looked after by the um, general paediatricians here in Jersey, though fortunately we've had very few um, paediatric cases, which is, which is very encouraging. I know in the UK it's been more of a problem. Um, as a general rule, and particularly again if you look, because our data set is quite small, but if you look at the Office of National Statistics data in the UK, um, they're seeing it be about 60% female to about 40% male. And the biggest age range is sort of 35 years old to about 60. That's the kind of highest age range. Why that is, is not clear. Um, and it's unfortunately, you know, that coincides with our working population. 
So there is that knock-on effect on the health of our our economy. Um, but that seems to be the demographic that we see in most countries around the world. Um, there is great variation. Um, the UK has a particularly high level, whether that is through better reporting or whether that is really that there's more of it seemingly in the UK um, is not clear. But, um, you know, some countries have not been so troubled. The US, Canada both have quite significant levels as well. Mm. Um, 60-40 when women men seems like quite a strange split do you have any idea why it's affecting women disproportionately more no 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 idea though that has been a very similar figure when we look at other causes of post-viral fatigue mm-hmm. or ME uh, chronic fatigue syndrome uh, there is a similar female to male ratio and we do see you know, differences with lots of medical conditions, um, you know, some disproportionately affect women and some disproportionately affect men. Mm. But with, with post-viral fatigue, with long COVID, it seems to be about 60-40 from, you know, most of the data we can gather. And certainly that's what they're seeing in the UK. Okay. Um, so we are three years on from COVID yeah. and from the lockdowns now. And we did want to ask, what is the level like? Is it increasing the amount of people you're seeing, decreasing? Is it tapering off? Is it staying the same? How, how is the sort of three-year um, anniversary um, relating to the numbers that you're, you're seeing? I think substantially decreasing, okay. which, is, which is a really good thing. When we started, we were probably getting around 20 to 30 new referrals every week. Um, we're now seeing probably around five referrals a week so that's a a significant drop Um, we're also seeing probably less significant illness now and I think that's linked to our you know effects on you know our our vaccination program has been very instrumental in helping to protect our population we're very fortunate in Jersey to have a very robust and excellent GP system primary care in complete contrast to the United Kingdom at the moment who are really struggling so it means that people are much more able to access care um, so we're, we're seeing it tailing off at the moment which is you know very reassuring mm. definitely that is that is reassuring do you think that's just because um, sort of awareness and interest is dropping or the cases themselves are actually dropping um, I don't think it's because of awareness and interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think the cases are dropping. I think there is more of a, a sort of immunity across the island now. Most people have had the infection several times. Uh, most people are vaccinated. Uh, so that does give us a degree of protection. Um, we do. That doesn't mean we still do not get cases happening, and we do, but they are fewer and further between. Which is, uh, which is a very good thing. Mm, definitely. Um, so I think that's all the questions we had for you about long COVID in the clinic. We wanted to end with something fun, so we wanted to ask if you <laughs> picked up any weird lockdown hobbies. Weird lockdown hobbies? <laughs> no, I. Um, my only weird hobby is playing in a band, so uh, that's, that's my... Completely normal hobby, okay. don't worry. But no, because we've been asking, because it's three years on and some yeah. people have kept these things up and some people haven't. So I did I did take a very deep dive into the making of, of coffee, um, which has driven my wife absolutely spare.
thank you to Dr. Matt Doyle, and thanks for listening to the Bailiwick podcast. Keep up with all the latest news by visiting bailiwickexpress.com or reading our sister publication, the JEP. More next week from me, Kelly Frost, and the rest of the team. <laughs>